Hey everybody, welcome to CookPod, the podcast that's arrabbiata in the streets, but carbonara in the sheets. I'm Peter Barrett. This week, CT, also known as Chef Chris Turgeon of Wildebeest in Kingston, came by, sat at the table, talked about his long and illustrious career, and how a chef of his caliber and extraordinary resume ended up in Kingston. It's quite a story, and well worth a listen. One small technical note, we were wearing these lavalier mics for the interview until one of them crapped out at around the 20-minute mark. On the plus side, we looked like telemarketers, and on the minus side, I had to switch to my phone recording backup. So you'll notice a change in the audio around there, uh, but it's no less audible, just different. Pro tip, though, always have a phone recording backup. So here's me and CT talking about his remarkable trajectory from young ne'er-do-well to seriously accomplished chef. And how did that deal with um, with Hepworth? Hepworth, Amy and Gail. Amy and Gail, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's That's been amazing. And they're amazing. Um, you know, that, that's been such a foundation for us and a really good learning experience for me and something I, I'm really looking to build on this year in a big way. You know, I'm kind of like, it's the, the rest of winter period now. So my mind's had an opportunity to kind of process the last six months and really start to look at what, what lessons we've learned and, and what will the beast 2.0 is going to look like for this next year. Yeah. Cause you guys opened like kind of right at the beginning of the busy season, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got delayed, we got hung up with our liquor license for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, that ended up taking six weeks longer than we thought. You know, originally we'd been planning opening at the beginning of April, and we didn't get open until uh, the middle of June. Um, so we kind of stepped right into it, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, eh, for better or worse, it was what it was. <laughs> I don't know. I actually think it went pretty well. It helped that I had captured a team of people who, you know, were familiar with my kitchen and my philosophy and because we'd all worked together previously, it, it made it a lot easier to get to get going quickly. And so you brought them with you from Chicago? No, they came from, uh, we all worked together kind of like a heritage restaurant in, in Poughkeepsie. And I, you know, was kind of looking for spaces up here and took over as the chef there briefly. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a rescue mission getting them out of there, honestly. You, um, but you were in Chicago before that? I was in... Uh, Austin briefly, uh, so actually I'd moved to Austin, and then I went to Chicago, and then I went back to Austin for a short period, and then came uh, up to New York. Wow, okay. girls. So where are you from originally? I'm not. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I was an army brat. Uh huh. So and uh, then cooking, yeah, just kind of took the grand tour uh, of the U.S. Uh, it's, you know, I'm I'm 35, and I think I've had 34 different addresses wow. in my life. That's impressive. <laughs> it's something, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of got that bug as a kid and then, you know, cooking kind of gives you that opportunity as well. And, um, you know, this is one of those industries where like, you know, there's not always a clear line up. So sometimes you got to move diagonally or horizontally to, to get towards the things that you're, you're pointed at. So I did a lot of that. Moving around a lot. Was that all domestic or was there international as well? As a kid? As a kid. Yeah. Yeah. We were in uh Stuttgart, Germany for two years and, uh, my parents actually did a really good job of seizing on that, and uh, I mean, we went we went to every country in Western Europe almost, you know. So we 
And was that, do you think that was formative from a palate point of view at an early age? Like, were you into food as a kid? Well, I was hungry. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was formative in, in sort of like uh, curiosity. Like going and seeing people and places and things and, and the perspectives, you know, and how different, you know. I, I had a couple opportunities to travel that were really kind of threw my, my eyes wide open. Um, I was kind of a shithead when I was 14, which is yeah. when I was in Germany. Well, I, so. I think it comes with the age. My son's 14 right now. Yeah, there you go. He's a good kid, but yeah, he definitely has <laughs> shithead moments. Yeah, I might have a little screwed on with girls and done things at that point, but um, I think I captured a lot of what I saw there. You know, and then when I was 19, um, I did 40 days, 20 days in Thailand and 20 days in China. Wow. Um, and that was another thing that just kind of like, that was a whole other tilt. And that was my first experience of being, you know, like profoundly a minority somewhere. Yeah. Um, especially in parts of China, you know, Thailand where, you know, they just, you know, the only Westerner in sight um, and things very, very culturally different, you know, like being in the bus station and, and Shenzhen and you know people are standing so close to you like the sense of personal space there um, it's just totally different you're like dude <laughs> sure and those flavors are so different from European oh my god yeah I mean hugely and dramatically and I mean Thailand you know my sense of Thai food when I went over there you know I really was just kind of opening my my eyes a little bit into the food world at that point and you know my Thai Thai experiences were just really a pinpoint and then going up there and Isan cuisine and, you know, like going north south in Thailand, just seeing how different it was and, and you know, starting to recognize, you know, the difference between like, you know, landlocked mountainous cuisines and how those are developing as opposed to coastal cuisines and you know it, Thailand was a knockout, man. Just as as a food, you know, I look back on like I think maybe more than anything that that really did touch me. I mean, it, there's something about the way they put flavors together that stuck in my my palate memory. It, to me, it's it's funny that it's caught on in America the way it has. I mean, it's really been kind of a big thing over the last 20 years, and I think a lot of it it's just like that is to me fundamentally American cuisine in some regards. Like that that like big, hot, sour, salty, sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, we like. Yeah, I mean, go to your average grocery store, you know, like barbecue chips and it's all true. this stuff. Like, it's I mean, true. Well, think about like a burger with t with ketchup and a milkshake, yeah, right? Totally. Ketchup is all the umami fish sauce vibe. Totally. That's how it started. Ketchup is an Indonesian word, yeah. right? And the milkshake, sweet and meat next to each other, right? Ketchup manis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's, you know, and there's something about that that I think has, has lingered in my cooking today. Like, you know, you eat my food and it's definitely like, it's punchy. It's salty, it's sweet, it's sour, you know, and I tend to push things. Maybe that'll round off as I... <laughs> no, but I like that. I mean, I respond to that. Yeah. And your predecessor in that same space, Rich, yeah. was my favorite cook for the first, like, practically decade that I lived up here. Because yeah. he was one of the few people who was really going for those ballsy flavors yeah. and not shying away from what he wanted to make and the food that he wanted to eat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he, his audience was there for him, not, maybe not all the time, you know, just because it's a, a Kingston was a much harder market back yeah. when he was trying to get going. Um, so you're a teenager and you're going to Asia by yourself or with the family? Uh, so I had a, uh, was dating a girl and uh, her parents were extraordinarily wealthy. And uh, I just kind of lucked into this situation where, you know, they kind of wanted 
her uh, mom was Thai and her father was Chinese. They wanted her to take a heritage trip. They didn't want her to go alone. So I took a $30,000 vacation. Damn. Yeah. And how old were you then? Uh, I was 19. Wow. So no culinary yeah. school at that point. Just no. Just bouncing no. around. And in fact, <laughs> yeah, I had a storied career. I, well, if we want to get into how I ended up in cooking, I, I was kind of a dumbass. I was uh, did really well in high school, and uh, I'd always planned on going into the military like my father. My, mm-hmm. my father was an airborne ranger and infantry colonel when he retired, and wow. I just kind of always liked the fraternal order, liked the traveling, liked the lifestyle, um, liked you know, pushing myself physically and, and being involved in, you know, I, his career was always very competitive in that community. And, you know, I liked that stuff. So I'm kind of planning on that and uh, got a four-year Army ROTC scholarship, full ride through school, everything. I mean, they were paying me to go to college. Wow. And I was getting a stipend uh-huh. with all my bills paid, books, board, everything. Wow. What'd you major in? Uh, political science. Where was that? And a minor in Japanese. Oh, wow. Um, that was at St. Michael's College in Burlington. But I, I say all that. That's what I was... <laughs> I was there for three months. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I got in a fist fight. Oh, shit. And uh, lost my scholarship. Got expelled from school. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was dating that girl at the time. And her parents were basically like, you know, you are a big problem for us. <laughs> you know? And they, they owned, f- you know, a bunch of restaurants. And they were like the only thing you're going to do now is go to work and you're coming to work for us so we can make sure, you know, I don't know if they thought we were going to get married or if it's going to be serious, but they, you know, decided at that point that they were going to take me in hand and steal my path. Um, well, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty visionary for parents, right? To sort of see in you the potential to actually be a good partner, but you just need like something useful to do with yourself. Yeah. I don't know. As opposed I, to just saying to her that she can never see you again. And that's that they were, interestingly benevolent i mean they definitely gave me a couple shots to prove myself over the over the time her and i were together um but yeah they had a uh strangely enough a sushi bar and you know they were kind of asking me about and i was like well sushi seems cool you know and so i ended up uh apprenticing with uh one yao rong ma who uh taught me what the flat side of a knife was for which is what uh the back of my knuckles Again and again and again. That guy stood me in the corner for about two weeks my first month. Really? Uh, just stood me in the corner, man. Like literal dunce cap Literally situation. Literally just, you know, he'd be like, <laughs> no, you big hands guy, no. And he would just point at the corner and I would just go to the corner. And, you know, you're in a sushi bar, you know, right. there's like 15 people in front of you. During you're service, like, oh. you're standing there in the corner. Yep. Because wow. I squished. And, it, you know, it's funny. Like, what big hands guy was mm-hmm. didn't settle on me until much later in my career. When I, you know, I was definitely a blunt instrument. It's a hardworking kid. You know, very, like, mentally quick and really wanted to get on top of things. But <laughs> just smashing the holy shit out of the sushi. You know, that, like, delicate touch. You know, like, and now, like, I love sushi and, you know, eating it and, like... I just, I can't even imagine in my mind what I must have been doing to that rice yeah. and the fish and everything, just dick fingers, smashing stuff. But uh, yeah, so that kind of got me my start and spent the first two years doing sushi. And then and this is not in Vermont anymore. So that was actually in Vermont. It yeah. was. Yeah, that was in um, 
in uh, Burlington. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. They had uh, two restaurants up there and then two restaurants down in Lexington, just outside of Boston. So, I don't know. Girl and I broke up, and that seemed like a good time to get out of that restaurant. And I was kind of like, all right, you know, I, I need a new path. I was finding that sort of sense of fraternal order. And, you know, I, I really valued, like, kitchen as a meritocracy. It's a place where you can go and, like, you know, I think you can really find your way with, you know, just be yourself. You know, if you're good, you're good, and that's it. Did you find some appeal that w in the way that kitchens and the military can kind of overlap in that way? A lot of discipline, a lot of hard work, but a meritocracy at its core? Yeah. I mean, you know, that was that kind of like, my familial situation was, you know, all over the place growing up. Definitely got myself in some shit a couple of times, and, you know, I spent two years living with my uncle after getting basically kicked off base. Hmm. Um, you know, just kid stuff, idiot kid stuff, I guess. And... uh you know, it was that thing where, like, I was kind of piecing my, my family situation back together with, with the folks I was finding at work. And, you know, it was at a point in my life where a lot of things were shifting. For the longest time, you know, the military had really been my direction in my mm -hmm. mind. That's how I'd seen myself, you know. And I was very goal-oriented in that fashion, at least, as far as, like, shaping myself as something. So, you know, there was a little washy period there where I really felt like I'd lost my identity. And... Uh, bit of a crisis for me I think uh -huh. and uh, yeah I mean the kitchen just I mean I'll never forget like my first 90 hour week I remember like pulling that shit out of the ticket machine and looking at the thing as like, fucking 91 hours you know I mean like fuck I don't know anybody that does that yeah you know? but you felt good right oh yeah proud of yourself oh dude I carried that thing around in my wallet till it disintegrated basically huh. you know it just it was a benchmark for me you know there was something about like Hard work was an anchor mm -hmm. um, against a lot of things that, that, you know, I think could have gone other ways. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of left there and I went into what became next. I think my really, like, looking back, one of the kind of golden moments for me in cooking was I went to, you know, a very much a husband and wife, chef-driven, chef-owned, farm-to-table restaurant, one of well, the first real farm-to-table restaurant in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Very much a pioneer in that sense at that time. and um, You know, somebody who's just, like, really doing it right. And I didn't, you know, at this point I have blue hair with leopard polka dots and a right. nose ring and staying out till 5 a.m. every morning. And, you know, didn't really have my head squared sure. for, like, what I was getting myself into. But it was an extraordinarily professional restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I look back now with, you know, almost 17 years at the stove at this point, and there's nothing to compare it to, um, just in terms of the, the overall professionalism as an operation front to back. Mm -hmm. Cleanliness, expectations, communication, um, quality of product, quality of execution, just the practicum of running a restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's just iconic. I mean, yeah. it just... Steve, he's, he's just an amazing chef. What year was this? Or how old were you? I mean, I could drink, so probably 21, 22. Uh -huh, uh -huh. What was the name of the restaurant? The Kitchen Table Bistro. And that was also in Burlington? Uh, just outside of, yeah. And they'd just been there for a couple of years. They're still there, so plug it away. Steve still works that day every night. I worked there for a year and a half, I guess. Um, got fired for just dumb stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, 
But, it, you know, I look back on that now and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I wish I'd understood more at that point, like, what a golden place that was. Because I probably would have stayed longer and learned more. You know, I never really got off salad station there. Well, but one of the one of the downsides of youth is you don't have that perspective, right? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do now. And it's funny because my, my relationship with, with Steve is so good at this point. You know, it, we just got an invitation to potentially go down and cook at James Beer. One of my concerns being I, I don't have a crew for it. You know, mm. They're too small. You know, I was talking to Steve about the logistics of the whole dinner because he had cooked there. And he was like, well, what are you going to do? I'll come down. I'll bring my whole good, you know. Fantastic. So, yeah, he's been a mentor to me. You know, in a lot of ways, I just like having gotten to this point and that restaurant's like, you know, a mile and a half from my father's farmhouse. So, you know, every time I go home, we always end up there for dinner. Oh, cool. So he settled in Vermont. Yeah. Fine. It's been a touching point for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and as I've gone on and spun my cycles and, and gone further through my career, you know, going back there, I think he's watched me like once a year come to his doorstep with a better and better perspective on the kitchen That's and on restaurants. That's great. And, uh, you know, as I've gone back there, I've, I've increasingly understood what a high water mark that is. Mm -hmm. That was formative retrospectively. Like, yeah. Now it's to be emulated and admired. Um, but I sort of missed the mark with that. Then I, uh, I left there and I did a brief, tiny splash in culinary school that lasted about as long as college did for me yeah a few weeks yeah Which i like school? went in uh new england culinary institute uh -huh. i just walked in and there's fucking four guys sharing an onion i'm like this is bullshit <laughs> i'm out well you were already so far past that by that point right? yeah and it was just like <laughs> i'll be honest the instructors sucked why why am i you know what an astonishing sum of money to stand in a room with three other idiots and share an onion why, you know, a guy who, to me, you know, compared to like, you know, at that point, again, like Steve's kind of a monster. Like I was coming out of that experience. Like Steve will be calling six tickets, working saute and, and just seeing, clocking absolutely everything. I mean, just unbelievable his ability to like maintain perspective, cook full out and just unflappably make zero mistakes. I mean, I worked for the guy for a year. I never saw him fuck up. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. He's the only chef I've ever worked for. Well, uh, different kinds of fucking up, I suppose. But, you know, just technically so excellent and so focused and so observant and present. You know, and then going to culinary school, it just you, you just tell these guys weren't those guys. And that's those were the people. I want to work for the badasses, you know? Like, I don't want to work for somebody I've never heard of. Yeah. Did my little dabble in that, and I was like, all right, I'm out. Let me go travel and cook it. So I sprinted out of there. And, and where'd you land after that? Miami. Miami. Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of a detour, really. In my mind, it was going to be cool, and I went there, and it was not cool, and I basically stayed there long enough to leave. It's a weird town. I lived in South Beach, and I worked in South Beach, and I was actually working for a good chef. He never really went anywhere crazy, but at that time in Miami, it was one of the you know, much better restaurants down there. Um, but the food scene in Miami at that point was also kind of... Well, so. yeah, I mean, you know, because cocaine isn't good for your palate. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't make you hungry. So yeah, that's for sure. um, at least there weren't any complaints about portion sizes. Yeah, that's a plus for you. So yeah. But uh, yeah, I went down there and, and worked for a guy named Michael Blois. And he was kind of the first chef to like see that maybe I could be good at cooking. Mm-hmm. 
And he tried on several occasions to sidebar me and to try and, like, you know, crack my eggshell a little bit and get me to hatch. Um, I, I remember him taking me out for drinks one night and just being like, you're really stupid. And I'm like, really, dude? I remember going home and not understanding that. And I know it's a conversation that mentally I've had with, with other cooks now, and you know, where I, I can see that they can go somewhere, but there's this, it's a mystical barrier, man. Well, so, so dumb in what way? Because you obviously had some chops by that point, right? People could see that you were skilled. You'd been through some right. different kitchens and different techniques, uh, kinds of cuisine. I wasn't on the plate. Uh-huh. And I can only describe that as like there's a certain point where you start to understand fundamentally what you're trying to achieve with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, mechanically, I was executing and I was doing it at speed. But it was basically the difference between being a robot and being a human being. I mean, everything that I understood about what I was doing at that point was dictation. And nothing that I understood about that was functioning on an intuition the way I think you need to to like become an exceptional cook where like what was happening at my fingertips and how it related to everything else on the plate and how that related to all the processes that preceded that and all of the interrogative information that 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 carried from those ingredients coming together to that point you know about caring for them and caring for my station and you know modulating things you know it's like a mixing board you all these faders are going up and down as, right. you, as you're bringing things together and none of that understanding was there but if you ask me to put up 250 medium rare whatever's in a, an hour, I'll nail that. Right. And that was, I think, you know, he could see that I had, you know, I was quick and super punctual. I worked everybody's shifts when they didn't want to come in. You know, I was really committed to being there. I was a very hard worker, but this wasn't putting it together. And he tried in a very jocular chef fashion to explain to me that that's what was going on in my head. But... It, it took me a lot further down the pipe to really get the perspective to understand exactly what he was saying about it. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like, and this is something that, you know, as I've been trying to get my own people to that tipping point where they're really present at the tips of their fingers and really understanding all of the kind of red line items and all the relativity between the actions that they're taking. And I almost feel like maybe it has to be yours, that level of vestment. And also that there's something about like being in that environment where you're dictated to that kind of, it almost traps you a little bit. Because you're there and you're trying to like put it all together. In a lot of cases, you're sort of scared of the dude who's standing over you. And you don't want to fuck up, but you don't trust yourself to make the choices. You know, so you're constantly relating to his judgment because you don't have that or you don't think you have that yet. So you're not really thinking for yourself. I've experienced that a few places where I think... You know, I just couldn't quite come all the way out of my shell because of that situation where there's just a huge personality in the room. I don't know if you thought maybe I just need to push the reset button or, or what it was to kind of jar me out of, like, not knowing what was happening. It didn't sink in, and I, you know, eventually I very much had a very strong distaste for Miami. And, uh, you know, I ended up going back to Vermont pretty quick. I just hated it down there, honestly. <laughs> Went back home, and all... My old crew of people were were all musicians, and mm -hmm. so home is Vermont at this point. Yeah, you know, I my folks kind of settled there, and you know, my mom had been from there, so it always kind of like my grandparents and all that stuff. We'd always been going there, so I guess as a frame of reference in the world, and put a pin in the map. Vermont's about as close as it gets. Music's been a passion of mine, and you know, always 
been involved in bands in and out and kind of reconnected with one of my old groups of musician friends and we sort of cobbled together this plan to move to Austin together, all of us. And that's a story for another time, mayhaps, but... Yeah. Um, well, or now. I mean, if it's a good story or if it, if it, if it, you know, it ties back into cooking in some way, even does, if it just moved you to a different place. It, which it did. You know, it, it took us about a year to kind of figure out how to, like, get everything together and get our boots on and get marching in that direction, mm-hmm. saving up enough money to move five people across the country. Yeah. And what do you play? What's your instrument? Bass. Yeah. You know, and do a lot of writing, you know, especially with that project. There. Lyrics. Yeah. And, and songwriting, too. Yeah. The music, too. Yeah. What uh, what kind of music, genre of you, were you guys... Uh... <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek? Yeah. I don't know. We The whole thing started as a joke, you know, where we were just kind of, like poking fun at rock tropes mm-hmm. and uh it really got out of hand and in what way in, it just turned into a full-on musical thing and then that evolved in know, what that you started to take yourself seriously instead of joking anymore yeah a little both you know like when we actually got down a buddy of mine jet he's he's a really great producer and musician of all kinds and engineering you know his passion's always been recording and you know so he's putting everything down and we're sitting there and at first it was funny and then it's like all right this sounds kind of good then it was like, that was kind of awesome. Like, it was so, like, overwhelmingly, stupidly over-the-top rock and roll that it was it was actually very fun to do. Well, uh, like, so, like, sort of punk rock or, like, arena, like... <laughs> much more, like, like, like grandi- grandiose. Like, yeah, it was, like, hard rock, but, like, you know, cobbling together all the cheesiness that was in rock and roll of, of really our young era. You know, looking at stuff kind of ranging from, like, 95 to, like, 2005. Dumb, but fun. Sure. And those guys had this legacy project. We decided we were going to, like, really finally do that whole thing now that we sort of had the nucleus back together and we were all going to move to Austin. And, you know, I was working very hard to kind of orchestrate all of that while cooking, too, at the same time. Our singer and really one of the critical musical minds in the whole project. Six weeks before we're going to leave, he sits down on a park bench next to some girl. They start talking. I mean, literally, like, three weeks after that, they're engaged. Wow. You know, and he's like, I'm not going. I'm not going. I met the girl, and we're moving to Seattle, and that's that. And uh, they're still together. They have two kids. So well, That really does happen sometimes, I yeah, guess. Yeah, man, it's crazy. That's the only thing that's validated his shit mm-hmm. <laughs> to this day. But they're good for like, each other. It wasn't one of those impetuous things no, where he spends the next crazy. 15 years like, in a slow death spiral. It's like... I saw them recently at a friend's wedding, and they seem like they're great, so good That's on. great. Yeah, you know, lightning strikes. And it worked out. I mean, here we are at this table. So we ended up moving to Austin anyway, but that kind of, like, broke Jet, who was kind of the other musical backbone of that thing, was just, like, devastated by the whole thing. You know, he'd been waiting years and years to finish that, that musical piece that they'd been working on. And that was the first time he'd be able to, like, really call everyone's attention to it. And we'd invested so much in that that switch of moving to Austin so they'd really have a platform to do it. And it's really an incredible piece of music. I still to this day wonder what would happen if they could have pulled it down because I really think they had something. But, hmm. yeah, so we ended up down there, and now Jet's depressed. He just want to play music anymore, and I'm in Austin. I opened and worked for a chef named Ned Elliott, and Ned was coming out of... Oh, he was a sous chef at Per Se. He was at Essex House with Ducasse. You know, he'd been at Arzac. He'd, wow. you know, really done Tour de Force. You know, this was his first restaurant, and I was there for the opening. Coming out of those places, and then your first thing. You know, he's 
crushing kids with a cabbage in the walk-in. And people are crying. And he's kicking people out of the restaurant. I mean... So he was a screamer. He was like an old school... Oh, he was he was the master of the dark whisper. Yeah. Oh, actually. okay. So he didn't yell and scream most of the time. No, that, that sent him off the... Well, because something I noticed, you know, when I came in the very first time during your, your friends and fam- family preview... To, to take those pictures was because you guys were heavily weeded, obviously, right? It was your first day. So you were looking pretty stressed and pretty sweaty, but you, your demeanor was super calm. Like you clearly have picked up over the years a way to handle that pressure in, in, that doesn't like radiate outwards into the crowd. The craziest thing about that night, I think we would have been totally fine. My muscle memory, that's the longest break I've ever taken from cooking. So you were rusty. I felt like I was in... Fucking mud. Mm. I mean, normally I'm like, you know, I know exactly where everything is, but the, like that that sense of a station was gone. You know, after three months of building, taking different tools and hands and sure. using a different part of my mammalian brain, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like it wasn't reflexive. Like if I had to do that tomorrow, we would, you know, even a week after that, yeah, we would have stomped that thing out the, f- yeah. you know, and it wasn't that bad. It was no, no, no. Honestly, it was a little fucking embarrassing though. What are you going to do? It's your first day, right? Yeah. And like you said. I, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, in not my finest moment. But that's all right. But, know, but, I mean, time marches on. What was, whatever, everybody gets weeded sometimes and everybody has, you know, rough openings. But what, like I said, the thing that impressed me was how when you talk to your guys, even though you were clearly pissed off and under the gun, you were super calm, super direct, not snippy, not bitchy, just like you communicated clearly and everybody did their jobs. And... That impressed me because it, it showed me just you've obviously been in a lot of kitchens and you've obviously come down firmly on the side of not being the yelling guy. I mean, I can be a dick. Well, so sure, we all can be dicks. You know, and my expectations are high and, and I'm a pusher. I'm never satisfied, mm-hmm. ever. Sometimes it's a fucking problem. There are days I wake up and I'm like, why can't I be happy with this, you know? Even now, I'm like, you know, we're six months in this thing and I'm planning something three years from now. You know, I just cannot fucking leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a tendency to, to try and push that drive in others. I mean, that's where I get to my, you know, like, I, I want to see progress. I want to see regular progress. I want to see commitment. I want to see things polishing up and marching on. Can't lie. I can be a dick. Yeah. Can definitely be. Well, it's, it's, I'm no stranger to that myself. <laughs> and most people can say that, you know, I mean, if you ask my cooks, especially when I was younger, I've had it all the ways, man. You know, and every year I look back on the last year's me and think that guy was a fucking moron. But it, it takes a little bit something different for everybody. Some people need different things, you know. Because like, I've asked myself that in so many ways. Like, how do you get that thing, you know, where like where everybody's at the tip of the finger and everybody's got that level of vestment. And there's that sort of purity of spirit and, and, and you know, combined effort that really make something great because the reality of like the difference between shitty food and good food and there's really not that much of a question between good food and excellent food but when you start talking about excellent food to extraordinary food Uh the decisions that make these two things they're very fucking fine it is those those faders i mean it's like you're really getting the perfect mix when you get to that and everything in that process is organic and a process of decay and then on top of that it's a fucking team so you got dick fingers over here and this guy over here like and somehow you have to disseminate all this finite incredibly precise information into so many different pairs of hands and minds and and the level of understanding that has to come together to get to that pretty profound yeah i mean the amount of variables you can have in a 
basket of, of apples to then personalities involved and then the life cycle of that product and then you know the fact that that is one ingredient of what might ultimately be there could be 50 ingredients in totality combined yeah onto yeah, yeah. one plate you know eventually through the process of all the sauces and everything that you're building right and if you're running that apple dish for a couple of weeks by the time you get to the bottom of that crate they're a different kind of thing you have to you have to treat them differently yeah I, it's hard and that, so the Austin thing you said, that, that was pretty fine dining, pretty high-end soigné. It, it really was fine dining in terms of composition. And I love Ned because his food to me was like really American food. It was pretty frameless. Mm -hmm. You'd have a really hard time putting a pin in it. And I really enjoyed that about the way that he cooked. And a lot of the way that I cooked followed a, a similar bent. That was a really good experience. Stayed there for a while and then he shit-canned me. That's a trend. You know what? Everybody I know who ended up working for themselves, which is a lot of the people I know, have a long and sorted history of getting canned from jobs that you know where you learn something and then you're like, I don't want to work for you anymore. I was super fucking embarrassed about <laughs> but it. You don't, you don't, but you don't have that. In my case, it was always that I didn't have the balls to just quit. Yeah. So I would just do a bad job until I got thrown out, which <sighs> is you know not classy, but I was combative. Yeah. You know, I just had my mindset about things, and there were points where I definitely did know what I was talking about, and there were a few where I definitely did not. Anyway, left that gig and ended up working, strangely enough, for a CMC who had taken over like this, it was like the hottest new thing in Austin, this, this restaurant that was opening, and uh, their opening chef just tanked, just tanked, just was not ready for this thing. They opened, lines out the door, it was just nuts, and he just ate shit. And so they were like, all right, let's get, like, the, the baddest motherfuckers. So they got a CMC, which is really weird to take one of those guys out of sort of a country club setting and, like, plunk wow. them down in, like, a really trendy restaurant in the heart of a very trendy city. Totally didn't work. And Jimmy was, like, a, a technique master. I mean, like, when it came to just applying and doing stupid shit that you never see anymore, like, a dude who could just turn a potatoes like so fucking fast and so fucking good like nobody I've ever seen but his food kind of sucked and it didn't really make sense for the concept and he was sort of down that narrow on that you know it was a little too classical to be good I think mm -hmm. was, you know not that classical can't be good but it wasn't the right context for classical we didn't have access to that level of product you know where the, like the purity of ingredient could really push yeah but I worked for this guy who was like a technical monster, mm -hmm. and I mean a monster. And he saw me, I think I was there for four days, and I, I went in as a cook, and on day four, he's like, you're going to be my CDC. Wow. And I was like, okay. And he's like, watch this. All right. Like two days later, I'm like, how about this? He's like, all right, how about this? And so we went back and forth like that. I think for like three months, he was just like, had me in a headlock just spoon feeding me super technical butchery and all this crazy shit nobody had ever really done it for me like that mm -hmm. so i was eating it up and then as as i think can happen in those situations he started feeling a little bit insecure about his job because of the way that those things were going and i was hot to trot he was old and wise and been around the restaurant world in a lot of different ways and he just saw the situation shaping up i'm coming up hot He's super expensive. He's not hitting it with the restaurant. The right. vibe ownership's right. starting to grind on him. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I was starting to run the kitchen at that point. He was getting paid an obscene amount of money to be uh -huh. there. 
he was getting worried that I think the ownership was going to replace him because he was costing a lot of money and his food wasn't hitting the way they thought it was going to. And that was the point where he flipped the switch the other way and like completely stopped teaching me because hmm. I think he started looking down and being like, okay, now I'm training my replacement. Right, right, right. And it turned out he was uh-huh. about two weeks after that. They wow. called me into the office. They asked me, would you like to be the chef? And I said, wow, uh, yeah, that'd be kind of amazing. You know, like, is Jimmy leaving? And they're like, well, your first job is to go tell Jimmy that he's fired. Huh. Damn. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. That's kind of insane. I mean, at that point, <laughs> I'd been through it's another... It's like the mob where you have to kill somebody in order to get made. It was totally nuts, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had me fire Jimmy. Wow. I think because he was afraid of him. Still, it that's was, a pretty cowardly uh, move. It was fucked up, man. Did they offer you the same... Paycheck that he was getting. (laughs) I think they were paying him. I guess to me it seemed like an an enormous sum of money, but I think they were paying him like 110k or something like that. At that point, I I didn't even know chefs could make that much. I'd been making peanuts for years. Right, right. And they paid me 32. So how long did you do that then, as 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 executive chef? I stayed there for 14 months. It's a good run. Yeah, considering I was in again a super high concept place, right in the heart of downtown. I didn't know shit about. But did you hold your own? You think? My food sucked ass, I think. I don't know, because I can't, like, get my head back to where that was. I can barely remember the dishes. It was like a blur, man. I mean, I worked like a maniac there. I might have taken five days off that year. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 9 o'clock in the morning until 1 o'clock at night, you know, every day. My fucking walk-in was immaculate. If, if a fucking corner of something was up, I was down somebody's throat. Like, my kitchen ran like a fucking Swiss clock. Mm -hmm. That I know. The plates went the fuck out the window. Thames were right. But I think compositionally, it was kind of... Yeah. We got some good reviews and, you know, some okay reviews and, yeah, nothing. I mean, it was... It's not mentionable, I think, as as cuisine goes. But, you know, the lessons I've learned about how to run a good station and the pride I had in being the chef there was, like, omnipresent. And what brought you to Chicago from there? I met a woman, and we had this crazy quick fling, and we decided we were going to get married, and, you know, that was ill-advised, but, you know, still a, an emotional adolescent. And so I was like, okay, like, I need, like, a kind of, like, a stable job thing, like, a little less insane. And uh, I was like, it'd be great to make some money. And there was this kind of mom-and-pop legacy restaurant that had been in, in Austin for a very long time. They'd been there for 28 years. And for 28 years, they'd made more money every year. I was very intrigued by the whole thing, and when I met the owner, he was just a fucking awesome dude. He was smart and articulate, he was a great listener, and very open. And I went in there and I started working for them, and I had all these crazy ideas and all these things that I had learned. So I walked into this place and I have to do a tasting for them, and I guess the food was good enough and they were excited about it. So I ended up taking over both their locations. So I'm now running two restaurants. I got 70 cooks. You know, I've wow. got that's uh, a huge change from the place before, right? 14 services a week in two restaurants, so a total of 28 services a week. Wow. Six million dollars a year in sales that's between nice. the two spots. And you but know, did you find yourself having to do way more managing than cooking with that many moving parts? That was the thing. Like, so I walked in there, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> my hats changed. You know, and all of a sudden, it's just total different skill sets. I'm managing. Big teams, I'm dealing with big logistical orderings, I'm really looking at purchasing, I'm looking at all these aspects of restaurant operation, really in the macro. And the best thing about this place is they had every fucking receipt for 28 years. Wow. 
And so I'm trying to like fund all these crazy projects that I wanted. You know, I'm changing the face of this place in a lot of different ways. Some for the better, some for my idiotic sense of what it ought to be. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that was kind of an ongoing clash between me, you know, wanting to move the cuisine forward a little bit and Mm -hmm. kind of like... You know, they brought me on to sort of refresh the brand. Yeah. Where, know, what, what are these places called? Hyde Park Bar and Grill. So you're way down south side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did all this bad shit stuff there. You know, like starting to sous vide all this stuff, you know, like really like changing their whole recipe operation. Went through and redid everything, grammed everything out to the salt, you know. So I was like religiously reading like, you know, modernist cuisine at that point, you know, sure. and like... You know, trying to really figure out how to get, like, this super high-scale operation to, like, function with a really high level of efficacy and kind of give the whole thing a facelift. And I ended up, like, really making some major changes in this place. Again, some for the better. I think some not for the better, but really getting the whole thing moving and, and initiating an enormous number of conversations about what good food was and how productivity works. And, and part of those conversations was just going through all of this financial data and, and processing an enormous amount of that. And I think it really gave me you know, almost osmotically this sense of how money moves in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like realizing, especially looking at the scale of analysis, just like how small things matter, you know? Like how one cook who's really handy with a spatula can change your bottom line. And basically like the, the restaurants are just in this massive cycle of decay. I mean, literally every single fucking thing in the whole building is breaking. Mm-hmm. It's the reality because of the traffic and usage of a restaurant, Mm -hmm. like physically every fucking thing, the brooms are wearing down, the drains are slowly filling up and plugging, like everything is in this cycle of slowly heading towards costume. And this is a, this is an aspect of the business that you hadn't really been part of before. Well, you know, I, I'd, I'd managed it, you know, going back over 28 years of it and just seeing like mechanical costs and the steadiness of repair bills. And then like being in these two big restaurants with a lot of different equipment from different eras different stages and then I actually had a massive impact on their financial well-being when I took over the south location you know they'd done it was over two million in sales and they lost ninety thousand dollars wow you know that is not a good business no so their sales have been going up but when I got there there were eight fucking cooks in the line when I left there were four Mm -hmm. like they had four storage units that they were paying for and I took three massive trips to the dump and, you know, I scrap metaled all the scrap and brought him a check for that. I mean, it took me, like, my days off for, like, a fucking sustained period of time to, like, get these things empty. But just to shut it down to save him 50 bucks. I was that crazy at that point. All I wanted to do is hit that bottom line and hit it hard. Again, it was a totally different mindset. I'm doing that, but I'm also, like, trying to design new menu items that are, like, scientifically sound. And, like, I wanted to make sure that it could be just so every time. And, boy, did it teach me a lot to, like, yeah. be thinking that way. And we got to a point where they were, like, earnestly considering, like, a serious rebranding and, like, kind of pulling me into the situation. And we got to the table and we talked about it a lot of different ways and kind of came to the end of it. They're like, eh... So they weren't, they weren't, into, after all that work, they just weren't seeing your vision. I think they did, actually. I think they saw it, but I just, you know, 28 years is a long time, man. And then I started, like, looking at the whole thing. I was like, all right, I've learned a lot here, but I haven't learned shit about food. What I really want is to fucking go to that top level of things. Yeah. But, like, at that point, my Vegas wedding uh, marriage is falling apart, and, you know, I'm unhappy with that. And I was like, I just... I just need not this. I need the anti this. I need to like strip my life down and go hardcore and, and, and really get back and put a fine point on things. And So how did you do that? 
I was just staying up really late. Had those kind of like moments of emotional purity where you're just a total open channel. And I started writing really ferocious letters to all the restaurants I could think of that were like really stupidly badass. Mm-hmm. And nobody was replying. <laughs> that's a tough, you know, that's a low yield exercise, the the, yes, un, the unsolicited cover letter. Yeah. And it, I don't know, I probably wrote 20 or 30 of them. So who finally got back to you? So while I'm doing this, I'm, I'm basically perving every big city's Craigslist and see this ad for a sous chef up in Chicago. And I start Googling the guy and it was Jake Picklehop at 42 grams. And I'm just like, okay, you know, this guy's Schwa, Alinea, yeah, yeah, you know. Schwa was a block from my uh, all three of my apartments when I lived in Chicago. <laughs> I lived I lived on two blocks in three years in three different places and Straw was one block. Did one you block actually west. manage to get in? No, I didn't. No. But that, this was a while ago. I was there from ninety four to ninety seven. So just fucking show up there and the doors would be locked. Their their reputation. <laughs> the stories I heard in Chicago like they're off the chain. Anyway, so you know, I saw his pedigree and I saw, you know, the kind of food that he was making. So he got one of those really inflamed passion letters. And he wrote me back and he was like I need this now, basically. Right now I'm working by myself. And um, your, your letter reminds me of a young me. I wrote a very similar letter to Charlie Trotter before I started there. Oh, right, cool. And uh, can you get up here in the next two days so that we can do a stage with you? So I was like, okay, well, two days is like really no bullshit. And so I, I turned to Bick and I was like, um, I need it a week off next week. He's like, what's going on? You know, like, is everything okay? We'd had such a good relationship. You know, I just really didn't want to bullshit him. Yeah. Uh, I shot him straight on it, and I was like, look, you know, here's a story. And I fucking went home and, like, told a little girl that we were toast. And, yeah, I jumped on a plane, and I flipped Chicago. And, wow, what a fucking hammer that was. Yeah, but in a good way? I don't even know if I should tell these stories. Tell what you're comfortable with. I got off the plane at 3 p.m. and um, got to Uptown, and Jake promptly loaded me in his car, and we drove straight to a bar, and we drank from 3 to 3. By 3 a.m. that night, uh, the cops were looking for Jake. He'd uh, beat the shit out of this dude in a bar, you know. That night in front of you? Oh, yeah, dude. It was crazy. Yanked him off the bar stools, body slammed him on the ground, and just put the boots to him. Wow. And I'll be honest, I was blacked out drunk. I barely remember that. Yeah. And that was that was my first night. I wake up the this next... This is your new boss. Yeah. I wake up the next day on his couch... So fucking hungover for my first day of, like, serious Michelin dining. And it just didn't stop from there. It's crazy. Is that place still happening? Uh, no. No. Um, yeah, he uh, death spiraled. Mm. He got his stars and then... I mean, you can just fucking see it. The drinking and the rage. and It's a bad combination. Especially <laughs> yeah. combined with that super high-pressure atmosphere. It, it was pure insanity. It was two guys, you know. F- and he had two stars already when you started no, working. No, 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 no. No, we were in the chase. Hardcore. So no um, stars at the time. No. And you were there for a couple of years, right? No. No? No, no, no. 11 months, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. And did the stars just, come while you were there? Just after. Just yeah, after. Yeah. I walked through the door there at 200 pounds. I walked out of the door there at 164. Wow. I could show you pictures of how I was living. I mean, I was literally sleeping wrapped in a blanket on the floor of mm. an empty apartment with a stack of cookbooks around me. Wow. Absolute fucking madness. You just lived and breathed it. And I was terrified the whole time. I was so fucking underqualified to be there. And Jake was such a fucking hair trigger personality. The the emotional strain of trying to meet those standards. So was he super hard on you, like in your face all the time? This is how scared I was. You know, Jake lives upstairs and whatever. You know, I've got a key. I'm the sous chef. So I'm getting out of work at 1 o'clock in the morning. And 
Jake and I are walking out the back door and locking up and he's going up the back stairs to his apartment. And I'm walking around the block to the front of the restaurant, unlocking the door and letting myself in to start prep because I'm so afraid that I won't finish the next day. And so, so apart from the fear and the, and, the, <laughs> and the not eating and living like a homeless person practically, were you sort of aware that you were learning a ton? Or were you just so like, mm-hmm. it was just hammer and tongs all the time and you couldn't like step back at all and look at yourself? There's these crazy things that stick with you about stuff like that. And for me, it's never been in the moment. You know, it's always been reflective. And I, I think that what happens is that it comes in and you don't realize it. You know, you're, you're not appreciating, you're not drawing on that in the moment. It's not like an epiphany. And a lot of it for me, especially when I look back is in particular, it's like the things that people tried to pound into my skull that didn't sink until like I got enough perspective to see what they were saying. Like Jake, you tell me you come down at nine and I've been in the restaurant for an hour and a half already losing my mind. And that many components in the plate, you know, some of these things are getting transformed three times. Some of the processes took multiple days to, to complete. Mm-hmm. And it's just this constant drumming fear of dropping a course, like being the reason that we we struck a plate from the menu because I mm. fucked something up, you know? Was this a lot of molecular stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very transformed things. A lot, I mean, of, a lot of gels and emulsions and I foams. I wish it had been gels, emulsions, and foams. Really? Yeah. It's well, like, so give me a couple examples. I'm curious Dehydrated, about stabilized meringues made from the juice of, like, weird shit that was fermented. Bone marrow powder, so we were, like, slow roasting and then cooking it down into a thing and then turning that into a powder, and then that's a component part. So it's like these things that, like, if any part of this three-stage cooking process is a little off, I know I'm going to get murdered for it. Right. And I know that if it's fucked up, that it's just not on the menu. Right, then there are no meringues, it's so you can't run that course. Three days without that course. Um, one night, he got so mad that he just called every reservation and canceled them. And I can't remember what I said. I was, like, just begging him to, like, not take me to part. I mean, I can't imagine I did anything that fucked up, man. It sounds Because like I can't was... think of any major yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was half a lunatic at the best of times. Yeah, totally. I had to show up the next day and cook the entire menu for him. And the thing is, we'd always done two parts. There was always my slots on the menu and his slots on the menu. And thank God, I mean... That was actually kind of one of my prouder moments there, I think. Because I actually did it. Mm-hmm. Bang that shit down. It wasn't a, an enormous amount of technical cooking, but that's the first time I'd ever, you know, marched a tasting menu on that level front to back. Mm-hmm. And with that dude's fucking eyes all over me, I mean, God forbid. That's the worst. When your boss is watching <sighs> you. It's and like... after a night where you just shut the restaurant because he's basically like, you suck so bad we're not cooking tonight. <sighs> God, I mean, man. I think a lot of it just comes down to that level of commitment and perfectionism. Like, you get to a certain point and you're literally the only human being alive who can discern any variable and quality on that plate. Yeah. You know, like... Like, yeah. that, that's such a finite point of your vision of what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I mean, we ended up getting a JB later that year. We got two stars later that year. I mean, I was there for all of those guys coming through the door, and they had a fucking great time. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I think bad is relative. And like you said, I mean, you know, back when I was a painter, like, I was the only quality control, right? And so... The piece, the still, the painting I sold for the very most money was the one that I repainted eight times. And after the seventh time, it looked pretty good. You know, it looked really good. And I sat and stared at it for like 48 hours, you know, just, and it wasn't quite right. So I took the whole thing apart and repainted the whole thing, which was like at least another week or two of work because it was super fine and very careful piece. But it sold before the show even opened for the most I ever made, you know. And so would it have sold with the seventh coat? Yeah, probably. But 
You never know. I knew. I knew the difference. Yeah. And so I think... You know, well, that kind of perfectionism mm. is the difference between the one star well, and, and the second star, about. right? Those minute. And so those are some of those things that I look back on that stuff now, you know. It's like, I mean, there are other things. Jake, you know, he'd walk in at 930 with his fucking cup of coffee in his hand, like all wired up. And he'd be like, what the fuck are you doing here, CT? And I didn't understand at that point. That whole thing mentally and physically pushed me to a whole new place as a cook. You know, I, I found levels and gears inside myself during that process that, you know, you don't. You don't understand. You know, you have to go into the red to grow. Yeah. By the time, right before I was about to leave it, you know, I was calling my dad in the mornings on the way in, just like, why am I doing this? Tell me why I'm doing this. Remind me. You know, yeah. We're talking about it. He's comparing it to ranger school. And yeah. Just, like, Sounds very intense. But, I mean, you know, it's a similar, like we were saying at the beginning, you know, there is a similarity with the military thing where they break you down and rebuild you. He wasn't doing a lot of building. No. <laughs> well, you were doing it. That was my job. You were doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so when you, when you left at, after 11 months, did you, what, you came to New York? So I left there. And actually, so that, that's where the music intersection comes back for me. I was so fucking fried after that. I just couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't pick my feet back up. Best friend in the world is Cat Jet. He's producing down in Austin. And, you know, I just basically went and ran his calendar for a couple of months. Making jack shit money, living on Jet's couch. <laughs> Running his studio with him. And hanging out and listening to music all day. And it was great. And I sort of, at that moment, was kind of like, I've learned a ton of shit. I think I've become a craftsman in some regards. I, yeah, I it takes know. a lot of process, too, man. You know, our minds work at different speeds. You know, there's the in the moment, like reacting, doing yeah. your job speed. But then there's the holy shit, it's six months later and I just figured something out that had eluded me the entire time, but it was right in front of me. It takes, some of these things take a long time. Grief is like that, man. It takes years to process some of that shit. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, I kind of like just faded out for a minute and then met a girl and I was like, shit, I'm making crap money. She's like, <laughs> so, I'm tatted up, fucking riding motorcycles and, you know, like living on my friend's couch, like. Spending all night at shows, recruiting bands for Jet to record, and drinking my ass off and being a moron. And she's like, "Wait, Mercedes, uh -huh. we're put together, nice house apartment, very prim and proper. <laughs> oh, I better get a real job. You know, not that working with Jet wasn't a real job; it's a fantastic job. And, yeah, you know, I enjoyed that wholeheartedly. But it was just like, I am an adult. What am I doing? And I was kind of serious on her, and I went and did. Artisan pizza for a bit, just new palms. But that's so. cool because the tasting menu, the molecular thing, was already receding by that point. I think that the sort of honest, real, down to earth yeah. cooking was really an ascendant. I think at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. There was a major shift happening. I think even a little bit before that, from art to artisanal. Mm -hmm. So this is what, like 14, 2015? Yeah, in the neighborhood. Yeah, you know, I kind of did that for a while. I really, I did learn some things. You know, like. Shifting so dynamically to like a heat environment and then having to very intuitively control that heat environment over, you know, a sustained period of time where you're interacting with that fire on a regular basis, on a daily basis, that taught me some things about cooking. Sure. You know, I never spent much time with dough and that taught me a lot about variables of things in the climate and humidity and all these different factors. It was, it was a wild sourdough starter. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that thing was all over the place. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, mine is kicking my ass right now because it just doesn't like the winter. It's a whole different animal. Yeah, I had a crazy room in that place. We, really, we literally, like, fired the oven up to cure it, like, five days before we are supposed to open. I've never put a fucking pizza in an oven before. But so I, you're still in Texas for this, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I kind of wrapped with that, and then I was sort of at a juncture where I was like, all right, what am I going to do now? Ivana, now my fiancé, her, her father had a 
had a little tiny stroke. We started talking about it. It seemed like the right thing to do is get her back home so she could be. So right she's there. from here, from yeah, Poughkeepsie. She's from Newburgh. Newburgh, okay. Yeah, I don't really want to live in Newburgh, but you know, I was kind of hoping like we'll land in the city. And she's like, I'm not sure that's close enough to my parents. And mm. I'm like, All right, so why don't we split the difference? But I ended up taking over a, a restaurant for for Michael Salakis, of you know former Greek Greek glory, mm-hmm. um, you know Anthos, and he was. You know, in a certain era, a pretty important chef in the New York food scene and a bit of an icon and a celebrity in his own right. Um, he's a fucking character, that yeah. guy. Yeah, and where was this place? In Irvington. Irvington, sure. He is a fucking animal yeah. of a cook. That was one of the only kitchens I've taken over that I totally didn't fit in. I never connected with that crew. I, I just could not plug myself into that place. But working with Michael, especially for the first, like, five months I was there when, when our relationship was really strong, that guy, I would throw him in a corner to cook against anybody. Hmm. I mean, he just had this magical ability. It's just an incredibly intuitive sense. Like, nobody I've ever cooked next to. And his food is delicious. Yeah. He makes you stuff, and you're just like, there's, like, intellectual delicious. And yeah. there's, like, yo, mom. Yeah. yeah. That's righteous. Yeah. And he cooks like that. Yeah, and I, that's definitely the one I've gotten increasingly interested in. I'd never it's, seen that. It's in like proximity. a great big hug, right? You know, yeah. You're just like, why can't I fucking stop eating all yeah. this good shit? Yeah. You know, yeah. like. And so I had never seen that up close, like honestly, you know, like I've worked with all these people over the years, but like Michael en- encompassed that. I think in the way that makes the finest chefs in New York. You know, I think every great restaurant that I've been to in New York that really like gets a toehold and becomes something has an element of that comfortably deliciously good yeah and because the head trip menus you know I ate at Alinea in 09 you know kind of at the peak of all the molecular craziness and it was you know it was a tour de force it was a virtuoso performance it was a four-hour meal my poor wife needed a cot like halfway through you know she was like I'm so done like I don't want any more food you know, it was like 800 and something dollars for two people. Yeah. You know, it's like going to the opera. About yeah. the same amount of money, about the same amount of time. It's really a dinner and a, and a show. And about the same amount of like Theater. exalted human accomplishment. Like yeah. this is the very pinnacle of achievement. Yeah. But you can't eat like that. You know, I mean, it's like it's right. as much a spectacle as it is a, as, a, yeah. as nourishment, you know. Yeah, it's, it's firing more. It's not hitting the mammalian brain. No, no. You know, no. you get occasional a bite will be like, yeah. oh, oh, that's so good. But there was one bite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, could yeah. I just get a bowl of that, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about that, you know, and and you know, the art of want is important. I think. Yeah. And to consider, but there's, there's well. So let's about okay. So you but, so I do the Michael thing. Yeah. And it was fucking awesome. I just didn't fit the kitchen culture there. And, yeah. yeah. Um, you know. I also, I burned out kind of hard. I mean, it was really long hours, and that's really long hours to work with, you know, cooks that you don't like. How long did you last there? 18 months. Uh I closed my contract. Uh You know, and that whole time I was kind of like looking for restaurants. Yeah, so had you already started kind of like sniffing around Kingston and other places looking for a spot? So funny, man, because I'd seen uh, Elephant Listed Uh when I was down there. Uh And I actually made Ilana drive all the way up. Your fiance. Yeah. And we went up and we looked at it. But he, he wanted way more than this made sense. And at that point, you know, Lana was starting to get frustrated. She really didn't like where she was down there. And I was, you know, I had enough of that kitchen. And we kind of landed where, like, we thought by being in Westchester that, like, 
all right, the city's only an hour away, and Newburgh's, you know, really only an hour away, so, like, it'd be easy to get to either one. We ended up doing neither, and we were just kind of still in that poking around phase, just as all of that, we were, I was kind of getting to the end of my contract, and she was really getting fed up with where she was, and we found a house. We were just randomly, like, we'd gone up to see her parents, and we found this place, we were just like, oh, my God. Well, you get a lot of house for your dollar in Newburgh, my friend. sure do, and we did, and it's awesome. And so that, like, all of a sudden made this quick shift. And I was like, okay, well, I guess house is coming first. So we bought the house, and, you know, that was kind of a dimension change, and I needed out. So I took over that little kind of legacy place again in, in Poughkeepsie where I met, you know, the guys I'm working with now. You know, and I was there for, like, six months, and I sort of did have this little epiphany moment where I was just like, I've started to put all these lessons together, you know, all the things I learned from Mike and Steve and Jake and Bick and, you know, Ned and really reflecting on all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm at a point where, you know, I've lived, I've been a very examined chef. You know, I've, I've really tried to take something away from every place, whether it's things to do or not to do. And I've really worked through all these dimensions. You yeah. know, I went and learned molecular shit and really explored the science of food. I looked at the finances and management, yeah. you know, and I'd been hitting the books so hard for years at that point. I'd yeah, well, just studying my ass off. Yeah, training for, training for this gig. I just, you know, had those couple of days in a row, I just woke up and I'm like, it's going to be really hard from here to work for anybody ever again. Yeah. I'll probably never be able to be happy no matter what I'm getting paid or what I'm doing. Like, you, you start off in cooking, you know, and it's all dictation, you know, everything that you're doing. Every, and then get a certain threshold of knowledge and then it becomes imitation. Now you have this baseline and, and from that you can look around you and pick your head up a little bit and now you're starting to like see things and be able to relate to them, adapt them and pull them into yourself. And then, you know, once you have that repertoire built up enough, then now you're starting to take those like pieces and assemble them into the whole and you get into creation. And I think all the way up the scale of like very successful chefs, you know, you see people kind of in that creation phase where whether it's through, you know, traditional ties or whether it's, you know, an amalgamation of things, we're all sort of like pulling from this and that and, you know, bringing yeah, them yeah, back yeah. together in our own way. Well, and it's wide open now. I mean, it's yeah. like the, the, the globe is now shrunk to the point where you can draw influences or ingredients from anything at all. And I felt like, you know, I, I'd sort of dabbled in that. And to me, that conversation needed to be completed for myself because where I really wanted to get to is where, you know, I really respect people the most. And I, I think it's such a, a small group of people in the food world who are really on the last tier of that, which I think is innovation. You know, and you get to that top fucking tier mm -hmm. of those guys who are out there and they're, they're doing the things that are changing the pulse of how we cook. And that's happening faster and faster and it's more and more available. And we're all drawing on it, you know, collectively in ways that we never were able to. But I really want to figure out how to be part of that conversation. And I knew that the next step of that was kind of getting into a new headspace creation-wise where, you know, done being a mouthpiece and able to really start, you know, speaking with my own voice. So you were able to make a deal with Rich after all? Or? The craziest thing, man. I'm just, like, looking around and looking around. And it, uh, sure enough, there's Elephant listed again. It's funny. I went up and I'm like looking through the window, like, trying to look at the space. Yeah. Rich opens the door, can I fucking help you? What are you doing? <laughs> That's our Rich. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry. He's like, yeah, yeah, get lost. But, uh, yeah, actually, when we finally came together, I sent him a copy of my business plan and really explained what we were trying to do and, you know, what my philosophy was here and what I was trying to accomplish. And he was really pretty happy to, to pass the hands on to another person. He just wanted to make dope food there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, he was really cool about it, and we had a good experience with that. That's um, great. And so you made the deal with Hepworth, uh, like you, you already knew them, or how yeah, that? They had been frequenting that 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 restaurant before, and had just like been very excited about my food, and you know they invited me to the farm a few times, and I went out there, and they're just dope people. They're taking amazing care of everybody. Mm-hmm. The things that they do and just the state in which they're existing and functioning in their business and the way they treat people and the politics and the wholesomeness of everything that's happening there is... It's great, yeah. It's like we, need, we need more more such farms all up and down the valley. And, I mean, they, they're, they're a huge model, so... Yeah, I mean, they just basically handed me a pair of muddy boots and said, Go, my son. Like just and so, know. so the 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 nature of the relationship, obviously, because you're only like you said six months into this. But um, did you start off saying, like, what percentage would you say is like stuff that you're specifically ordering from them, asking them to grow, versus they grow what they grow and you take what you need so or they you have commit to a certain amount of. <clears throat> I mean, they have like sixteen different properties. I mean, they're one of the. It's big. They're huge. Yeah. Um, and they're also an aggregator and a distribution point for other farms, and they grow 99 varieties of tomatoes alone. Wow. So you should come out there with me someday. I'd love to. That, let's do that. It's super cool. Yeah. Especially, like, peak season, and then you just oh, yeah. go into the, the warehouse, and just the number, I mean, there's 14 different kinds of cucumber, there's 20 different kinds of peppers, there's 100 different kinds of tomatoes. Amazing. It's just going crazy. Yeah, 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 I want to do that. It's just stacked to the ceiling. It's I met so them because they came. I was there with my wife for dinner, and they were there yeah. one, one night. So I got to chat with them for a minute. They're super charming, man. For level. So year. yeah. So talk to me about about the future, about getting to that innovation level, and how you see this as the stepping yeah. stone to that. For me, you know, my idea with with wildebeest was always just to be that like my gestation period in my mind. You know, this is an opportunity for me to begin that conversation with myself in earnest and. It's like that first time you sing in the bathroom and you get the acoustics and you're like hearing your own voice back to you or getting that chance to like kind of do that in a vacuum a little bit. Not high scrutiny, not high pressure, not high stakes. I mean, I'm like, But it's doing all right, yeah? I mean, yeah. you guys have loyal clients and... We've been doing really well. Good. Honestly, you know, the, win- the winter spiraled down a touch, but... It always does. So but it's much less bad than it used to be. I mean, we're pretty much five stars across the board in all of our reviews and sort of in the process of compiling what 2.0 looks like and, mm-hmm. and we're going to make some some changes some value-based changes some structural changes in the way we're approaching the menu bring another person into the kitchen mm-hmm. kind of free myself up to to look a little bit more macro in the kitchen because you know it do get slogged down in the minutia quite a bit sure yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's hard when your head's down instead of up right totally you know some days it's like it's two hours to service and i'm starting my new dish yeah. Some days, okay, I can't even tell you how many times I've done that. And, you know, we're probably putting out three to four new dishes a week. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You, uh, you, I mean, you're not afraid to improvise in front of an audience, which I admire. You you're know, crank, dude. Uh, I mean, it's jazz, sir. That's, that's, a, that's an approach that I respond to, too. I'm not a classical guy. You know, yeah. don't read music. Don't make it the same every time. Don't make it the same any two times, honestly. Well, that's how it's been for me at Wildebeest thus far. has been, like, very much encouraging those guys. Like, I want you just to taste and get it right. You yeah. know, like, yeah. let's understand what this is made out of and how it works, and let's cook intuitively towards that. You know, because I'm realizing, you know, one of my lessons from this year is that I'm getting to that point in my career where I'm making things that are worth keeping. Mm-hmm. Capturing that and also being able to start to piece together not only a pantry, but again, you're building your vocabulary. And part of that is like being able to sustain that narrative and, and not lose those points where you have, you know. Do, do you find yourself making more ingredients, as it were? Like there are certain components, certain base sauces or mixtures or things that you then start to call on as ingredients 
in themselves. Oh yes. Yeah. That's what I mean by that's exciting. pantry. That's when you, you really know, when start you, to get somewhere. Well, and that's those are the layers. Yeah. You know, and that's where you know you get an emergent narrative that that's so unique. You know, and people can't touch that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's actually that's a major thing that we're driving for this year is is to change that. And I'm also looking at changing the way our menu functions because I really do think. Consistency is the hallmark of excellence and, you know, not having that time to really like bringing together all the elements and really make sure that something's like smashingly good and fully understood before it hits the menu. So I think we're going to break it down into six uh, menus for this next go around. We'll do white, green, yellow, red, orange, and brown. Hmm. And those will be kind of our six, you know, so roughly every two months based on how things are kind of moving with the farm. Okay, we'll so, so it's going to follow the passage of winter into spring kind of thing? Yeah, and then we're also going to be like, I'm going to try and make sure that, like, as we're moving through each arc, that we're, like, trying to, like, pass some things over to the net, you know? Like, if this was on a wheel, you know, we'd be like, oh, shit, like, we're taking this, we're going to throw this up for, yeah. you know, two seasons from now, and, like, starting to pin those on a board and then tag those into those menus so that they're slowly, like, building themselves in. You know, by the time we roll around to the you know, white menu, which is like deep winter, early spring, mm-hmm. you know, like seeds and shoots basically. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Are they doing, they're doing sprouts and greenhouses and things like that. Yeah, all doing some of that so you can get there. some greenery if you need it. Eh, we haven't, um, but there is some of that going on. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that's one of the, I just started working on this yesterday. Uh huh. I'm going to be kind of working pricing down a little bit and scaling sizing up a little bit. You know, this whole thing is leading up to the conversation that, you know, for me, it's been kind of banging around in my head forever now. And it, actually, it's, it started with the question of what is American food? Mm-hmm. You know, someone told me, like, we're going to an American restaurant. I'm like, oh, really? You know, I picture just pulling up to a strip mall and there's like a white plastic sign with red letters and yeah. really tacky yeah, font, you yeah. know? Um, well, but it means something very different now than it did even 20 years ago. Sure. Well, then you look at, you know, and then we started talking about, like, oh, like, what is American food? Like, maybe it's Momofuku, you know, where you have, like, a blend of things. So, you know, is it fusion, you know? And it's like, oh, it's Husk. And I'm like, well, Husk is, like, really just an Italian restaurant, except American. You know, it's, like, this terroir, but, like, right. it's very, like, Southern American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's just, like, you're really drawing on a heritage and, and a place and, you know, expressing that really strongly. I mean, it could be French, it could be Italian, but it's somewhere in that, you know, sort of provincial bent, I guess, maybe. You know, so that conversation continued, and, you know, from that, for me, I just started thinking about this notion that, like, what American food and flavors and, like, the American palate is kind of different, you know? Like, I've cooked for for Europeans a few times, and I find that, you know, I don't mean this as a generalization, I hope, but just generally a lighter palate, you Mm -hmm. know, and that we like those big, splashy, heavy, you know? Watch us eat sushi. Lots of soy, lots of wasabi, yeah, yeah. stuff in the chili. They also don't do chili very well in Europe. A little more in the south, like southern Italy, they get into the pepperoncino a little yeah. more. But, then, but yeah, yeah, they don't. You know, espelette pepper is exactly as hot as the French palate can tolerate. Right. And that's it. That's the <laughs> limit. And they don't use it a lot. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I was just thinking, like, you know, the American palate is really, like, it's summed up by, like, you know, Sour Patch Kids and Cool Ranch Doritos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like this just lights your brain up like a Christmas yeah, tree. Yeah, tons like, of MSG, tons of like salt, sugar. super over the top. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 
Which is why, you know, way back before anybody gave a shit what I thought about anything, um, I was calling Korean as the next Mexican because it's got all the same stuff. It's got right. lots of grilled meat. It's got hot ass sauces. Right. right. It's funky. It's got pickles. It's got all the shit that barbecue has. Right. Just with a totally different profile. But it's the same, like, uh, big yeah. flavors yeah. that make you, like, grin uncontrollably because you're like, holy shit, this is so good. Yeah. So we were talking about what American is and what isn't, you know, and so we started talking about what food had been, you know, like, you know, it was the whole molecular movement, you know, where these guys basically, like, are looking into the future, you know, like, how do we transform food? How, how do we do things with food that, have, you know, never been seen, you know? And there was that whole thing, and, you know, that went everywhere, and it was a little bit of dinner in a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some mm-hmm. techniques that came out of that that have stayed because they're they're good. Yeah, sure. They're not just cool. I mean, it's it's an interesting way to add new dimension to plates, you know. I will occasionally even throw a little, a tiny bit of Ultratex into something just to keep it from sloshing all over the plate. Dude, I, I use that stuff, like, as it should be and where right. it should but be. But you don't know it's there. The but you'd know if it wasn't yeah. there because your sauce would be sloshing all over the... I mean, know. I think that that's part of the palette of modern sauces is you should have a fundamental understanding of hydrocolloids, how they function, and, you know, because you can do... Very fucking cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, when you came in, you were like, man, you really, your sauce thing, you know, yeah. and that's something that. It's funny to remember that, that I was really made an impression on me. Well, because it, it had the things you were talking about. It had good acidity, it had a little heat, it had deep umami, it had, you know, yeah. it was a sauce. Yeah. I mean, somebody asked me, like, what my specialty was the other day, and I, my answer is sauces. It makes or breaks the plate in most cases, you know, especially at like kind of a simplistic level of cooking, you know, when you're going to have like a thing, a thing and a sauce, like the sauce is the thing, you know, if the sauce is awesome, the rest could be pretty shitty and you still Yeah, because you're just mopping it up. <laughs> yeah. In this. Yeah. You know, sauce covers, it's a big band-aid. Yeah. Um, so I guess when I was trying to cook those, that was a place to start. But, you know, so we were talking about, you know, the molecular thing and like that was kind of these guys, they're futurists, they're looking forward, they're looking forward, 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 forward. The obvious backlash and, and you know. Next evolution to that is, you know, new naturalism and, and Noma, you know, with this sort of hyper-locality and sort yeah. of, like, looking back at the, you know, turn-of-the-century agrarian model and, like, you know, bringing back root cellars and, like, you know, hardcore preservation. Obviously, they're still still mine in that vein. Oh, totally, yeah. And in an even bigger way. Um, you know, if you, if you find yourself at this junction, you're like, okay, like, you know, I understand that innovation is the place to be, like, if you really want to get to the top of the game. And you're looking at these guys and... These guys looked forward, and these guys looked backwards, and, you know, it's been almost 15 years in Noma. I mean, Albuli didn't reign supreme in that trend for that long. No, it didn't. We're getting right up to that edge of something where something's going to bubble up, you yeah. know, that'll be the new thing. And I think that the next thing is borderless. I think it's frameless. I think it's everything and nothing. I think it's very postmodern, and mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I mean... The thing that I've started talking about, you know, actually have, I always have things going, but so I'm working on a business plan for a place. And our working title is called No Flag, mm-hmm. and it's a just, new place. Yeah, this was always wildebeest was a a stopping point. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a chance to find myself, but always driving. I always understood that as as train. I'm I'm in training right now. But you can the idea is you're going to keep wildebeest and open, or just, no, close one and open the other. You want a bigger place. No, smaller, or the same about, or keep um, the space and just change the business. Probably smaller. Smaller, um, well. There's, there's a lot of things about you know the the where and with who that you know I don't know yet, and there's there are two roads diverging in my life right now, and I will I will travel one of them, but I'm yeah. not sure which yet. Yeah. 
Um, I think it'll have a lot to do with where I find myself. Like, can I can I reach my goals? I've set some pretty crazy goals this year, uh-huh. you know. But I'm I'm a goal guy, and right, right. I've I've landed those so far in my life, and so I'm I'm hoping. And you got a wedding coming up, yeah? I do. When's that? You it's got a date? It's uh, June 19th. Oh, cool! Congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, um, well, that's obviously a a, 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 yeah. a a good path to tread. You know, it's, I, yeah. I'm a fan of the institution myself. Yeah, it's a stabilizer. Yeah, especially when you're a crazy guy. Um, but yeah, the idea of this restaurant being that, like, you know, when when people have looked forward and people have looked back, you know, there's only the blending of those things, and then it's sort of those two things, and then that question about like what American food is, because I don't think you know, that we've really done. Like, if you were to say this is an American restaurant, it'd be very hard to, like, for anybody to get their heads around that. But I, I kind of would like to try and capture that idea in the sense that, like, to me, what American food is, is, is it's, it's everything and nothing because it's everything and nothing. And, you know, it's, like, all of those things together, and then you just got to, like, also let go of all of those boundaries, you know? And for me, one of the things that I found this year and, like, that I've started as a small conversation at Wildebeest, you know, when people are talking about portion sizes or the relative cost of things, and, you know, you're looking at everything through the lens of the customer, but, like, at the end of the day, it's like, look, motherfucker, you're not starving. Yeah. You're not here for calories. Right. You're here for pleasure. Right. And so this idea that, like, at the fundamental core of, like, what people spend their money on when they dine, to me, it's like, it's just hedonism. Yeah. I mean, and not that, in a bad way. No, you know, but... That but, has a negative connotation, but I think you, what you're really paying for is to come and have pleasure. It's true. You know. But any, any, any answer to the question, what is American food, also has to acknowledge that too fucking much well, yeah. of everything sure. is quintessentially American. American 32 yeah. ounce steaks, right? You lived in Texas. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obscene. So, but it, and, it, and it's a changing thing, too. Yeah. I think, you know, increasingly the voice of reason is penetrating that fog. But yeah. So the idea is like a restaurant that maybe is, you know, really doesn't, doesn't fly any flag. You know, there, there are no cultural boundaries. And there's no ethical framework. It's not like, look, everything's from within five miles. This is really about finding the best products mm-hmm. at the peak of what they are and putting them together in the best ways that we can figure out and trying for something that I haven't really experienced. You mentioned going to Alinea and, you know, like, you know, I went to 11 Madison Park. Me and my brother ate. We had a dope time. We spent a fucking ton of money. Yeah. And... You know, a couple hours and many drinks later, we were in Central Park eating fucking dirty water dogs. And those are fucking great. Yeah, they are. And I was sitting on the subway platform just having this, like, fucking... Okay, I'm eating a, a New York hot dog in a subway platform. It's fucking, you know, three in the morning. It's freezing out, you know. And I'm having a dope time with this hot dog, you know. And I just ate at EMP. And I'm like, you know, there's something there that, like, you know, it's... it's there's so much that you're paying for in that setting that's like all of those things. And one of the experiences, and please don't get me wrong, it was an extraordinary meal sure. in so many ways. Yeah. But a lot of it is just the pure, the orchestration of it all and the grooming. It's just everything's so impeccable. And you just see it in, in a tremendous presence. I don't want to say anything. No, I've like, never heard just, anybody really have you anything. Know, you know. But I also, I think, you know, I'd never really eaten at like one of the world's best restaurants yeah. at that point. And it... I think in the back of my mind, I expected to, like, go there and eat things that I was just like, fuck, how could you possibly? And the reality was that it was very fucking good food. Yeah. You know, but it wasn't unachievable. No. And, you know. Just immaculate, immaculate service. Everything. Every I dotted, every T crossed. 
And now I have, I can point out like six things I've eaten in my life that I was like, that was fucking dirty. That was disgustingly, stupidly beyond good. You know, where it just like, bam, like I just couldn't fucking let that go. And I don't know if there's ever been a restaurant that is purely focused on that, you know, outside of the branding, outside of all this shit. But like really like just tried to like, you know, how do you hit the bullseye? How do you light everybody up? Mm-hmm. You know, with just like those 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 things in your brain that just Right. So even leaving even leaving behind not just but not just geographical boundaries, but also the boundary between sort of ultra soigné and dirty water hot dog, like breaking that boundary down, which is not, we're not in there at all. Yeah. You know, just trying and I, maybe it's too esoteric. Maybe. Depends Um, how good it is. Right. And what you charge for it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And, And there it is, you know, and I think that's, that's the question. I mean, if it's truly like, if you can really smash 16 courses, doesn't matter. And if you work hard enough at it, you will. And that's the thing about collecting those pieces. You will stumble onto enough things in the world. And that's the discussion I'm having right now because it's we're in the information age. Yeah. And there's so much out there to process. It's it's and overwhelming. It's purely, too much. But purely, but the good news is whatever you want to research, it's there for you. Yes. And so it's like, you know, next three, four years, can I knock down enough and, and find enough and anchor enough, you know, to, to begin that process in earnest and really So you're planning the next thing for that far down the road. Definitely. I think yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when does have to start now. so your new guy comes on in March? When mm-hmm. so will the Beast two you think launches sometime after he arrives? Just about then, yeah. Cool. I think we'll really be we'll be kind of turning things over. At, you know, I've got some small reinvestment projects need to like pick up a little little overhead here as the months start to speed up a little bit. Um, you know, like reinvesting in a wine program you know 30 bottles deep yeah i got some people i'm happy to introduce you to if you if you like some really smart people who can maybe uh help you out with that cool yeah i don't know i mean that's that's kind of the uh that's the dream is you know push forward through this and you know it's either that or you know maybe going back to vermont just for a hyper expression of that terroir looking at capturing that and it's like, do I really go crazy? Like, really crazy? And, like, really honestly draw a bullseye in the top of the fucking crazy food pile and really go for that? Well, I mean, sounds like you've been working towards that. <laughs> yeah. You know? I don't know. And you're still young enough to kind of go, you know, go full tilt at it. Yeah. At least for, you know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, what, what, what you're sort of like, you know, I what, mean, you're, what you're, you and your food looks like 10, 20 years down the road is, you know, that's not really your problem right now. Yeah. Well, and I think... Maybe more than any other year, I think this year will tell me. If I'm able to find that rhythm in this, like, to actually take the first mix on some lessons, adjust to target, find my creative workflow, start to capture that information, and be digesting in the level and speed that I need to, like, build that baseline for myself, you know, and I can really tap into the farm and start to understand the real cycle of things and also... Like you mentioned, like opening up that lexicon of those things that we've built for ourselves that mm-hmm. are, are the building blocks of everything else, you know. Um, if I can really tune into that this year, then I, I would be, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, That's exciting, man. I know. Cool. We'll see. All right. Who knows? Well, thanks for coming Ambitious. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, uh, you know, without ambition, what's the point? You might as well go work for someone else, right? Yep. And we've established that that's, not a, that's nope. a non-starter at this point. So. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. cool. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. Cool. It's uh, really good talking to you, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah.
CT, Chef Chris Turgeon of Wildebeest in Kingston. He's Wildebeest Kingston on Instagram, wilde-beast.com. I'm Cookblog on Instagram. Site for this is cookpod.net, and the blog since 2006 is acookblog.com. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, please rate highly, and tune in next week for another interview with another brilliant person. And remember, people, the single most transcendently delicious culinary experience you ever had still ended up in the toilet.